and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 263. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Star Trek Discovery's first season episodes, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, and C.V. Pachum Parabellum. Here we go. Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, Season 1, Episode 7. Original air date, October 29th, 2017. Directed by David M. Barrett. Written by Aaron Ellie Colette and Jesse Alexander. Guest cast include Wilson Cruz as Dr. Hugh Colber, Catherine Burrell as Stella, Peter McNeil as Baron Grimes, Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd, Emily Coutts as Kayla Detmer, Patrick Kwok-Chun as Reese, Sarah Midditch as Arium, and Oyen Oladehu as Joanne Owasaikun. While attending a crew party, Berman and Tyler are called to the bridge to deal with an endangered space creature that Discovery has come across. When the creature is brought on board, it is revealed to be carrying a person, Harry Mudd. He plans to kill Lorca and sell the ship to the Klingons, but when he is caught, he blows up the ship instead. Okay. Ooh, I love what you've done with the place, Gabe. There's nothing here for you, Mud. This is my own private research area. Uh-huh. Why didn't you tell me that you had so many wonderful toys? Ooh. Wonder what this does. I'm thinking it might melt brains. Does it melt brains? You kill a Starfleet captain. They lock you up forever. You know that. Adam, why don't you kick us off on magic to make the sanest man go mad? Um, well, we have the return of Harry Mudd, um, which is cool. Um, I've enjoyed um, enjoyed Harry Mudd in the episode a couple couple weeks ago, and um, we get a little bit more of him in this in this episode. He's a little more sinister probably than we remember. I think you were mentioning in that, Brian. Um, he's a little more evil um, this version than. Um, kind of comic relief so 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 what do we have here we have harry mudd who wants to get revenge against Lorca for leaving him in the klingon prison and at the same time he wants to capture discovery and sell it to the klingons um and then this we have a time loop this isn't something new we've seen this um i think seen this many times throughout star trek these kind of these these time loops where um things go away, the ship blows up, it starts over, things go away, the ship blows up, and eventually they kind of get out of it. So it's it's a cool science fiction concept, and it's, like I said, it's a cool, you know, concept within Star Trek that's been done many times. I think they do it well here. Um, I think this is the first kind of episode that I've seen so far that kind of felt um, um, more in line with like a, a, a normal Star Trek of what we're used to going back to the 90s. Um, it was kind of paced that way. Um, and you know, it, overall, it was exciting. It was good. My only hiccup is in the middle of the episode they they start this romance between Tyler and um, Burnham, and um, I had this problem when I first watched it. It felt felt like they just started this really fast. They just threw us into this relationship, and they really do it in this episode. In the middle of the episode, we have. Um, Really, it's kind of like it's fast paced and it's very like kind of stressful. Like they have to get this, they have to stop mud. And in the middle of the episode, we kind of have like these romantic scenes with Burnham and Tyler. And it just kind of felt out of place for me the first time. And it still did this time. It kind of took me out of the episode. So that would be my complaint about this episode. Um, overall, I thought it was entertaining and a good episode. I think that's a valid point. I do like this episode and I don't think it holds it down, but it reminds me a little bit of like if you play video games, <laughs> play like a like a, a, a lot of modern games, they'll have all these side quests, but the main mission is like, hurry and find your son before he dies. 
But if if you'd like, you can go to this town over here and and train a mule to do something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess it's not that pressing, is it? But no, it, that you know, it's it's a it's a minor minor thing. I, I I think I think it works really well. I I remember the first time I saw this episode. It was the first episode of the show that kind of really felt like Star Trek to me. I think the other one we're going to talk about today is getting there. But this, more than any other episode in this for in the first season, it felt like a, a show, like an episode of Star Trek. That sounds like an insult to the rest of the show. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. But there's certain things that I want out of a Star Trek episode that, you know, and I enjoy it. And, and yes, I'm fickle. I don't want it to be exactly like the other stuff. I, but I also don't want it to be too different. So without spending time knocking other episodes, I just want to say that this one is fun to me for these reasons. I like this one a lot. One uh, tiny little complaint. I can't help it. Surely I'm not the only person that thought about it. I'm like, man, I remember, uh, you know, going to those crazy, crazy parties where they would play Mozart and we would drink and go crazy and dance into the crazy, crazy Mozart. Cause that's, isn't that the equivalent of in this show, they were playing 300 year old music. <laughs> right, like, what? Right. It's just stupid. It's so obviously stupid. And it's such a, it's so dumb because it's so easy to remedy. There's a reason they don't do that on Star Trek. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, it's the equivalent, right? Isn't it? Not yeah, yeah. Either, right? no, yeah. You'd have to, you'd have to just stretch and imagine that. Okay, there's somebody on the ship that's like really into a certain thing, and he, they convinced everybody else to like this kind of very dated music from a certain period or something. You know, you have to come up with some reason to excuse it. You know, it's it's, but it, it is odd. Yeah. Again, there's a reason they don't do this in yeah, Star yeah. Trek. Well, the only what JJ's movies, but they referred to the Beastie Boys as classic, right? It was like, oh, this is classical music, so. Um... Well, let's, you know, yeah, valid, fine. But all you got to do is what the other shows did. Just play some, you know, have the composer write some super weirdo thing. It doesn't have to click for us. I don't know. But anyway, it's a side side comment. It doesn't doesn't really hold the episode back. It's just a little thing that bothers me a little bit. But anyway, I do like this episode. And we're going to get into all of that. But Steve, you're thoughts here yeah I, I really like it i think it's it's because it's, it's got it's kind of got all the things right i mean it's 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 entertaining it's uh it's got some depth because you have character development it's one of these weird ones where you have character development that may not always be in the time stream right some stuff that probably gets canceled out and reverted and all that stuff but nonetheless you get to see character interaction that's meaningful um you know you yeah you've got because of the time loop element that part of it feels like kind of the the um that era of 80s 90s early 2000s trek um but then you've got harry mud which is you know of course a reference to an original series thing even though it's his, certainly his own brand of harry mud but it i think it still feels right with rain wilson what he does with the character and um and and yeah i i get what you're saying about the whole um they throw in this romance thing, but in a weird way, what, what helps it, what works is that you kind of have this, everything doesn't matter because it just keeps looping. So you kind of have you, they, the characters have a little bit of freedom to just throw caution to the wind in terms of stating what they state or doing what they do. And so it's, it's kind of a unique opportunity, but I think what I like most about it is beyond just the, um, 
the energy and the action and the trying to solve a problem in a time loop that's just that's just fun stuff like we see in Star Trek is that is is also the uh, the intimate stuff between like um, not just you know Burnham and Tyler and all that developing that's fine but but Stamets and his character and you know you obviously you have to have a character that's that's remembering something to make this story work you know um and 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 burnham and how they interact and like the one loop where they just you know since it's going to keep going they just you know have a dance or whatever or and then you know how do we sacrifice things to save somebody in the loop and and, you know i I think it's just the combination of all these kind of twisted problems that only work in sci-fi and how to solve them along with good character development and and fun and so forth and and it does it certainly felt like i agree it felt like the most trek episode up to this point and it's it's really enjoyable to watch yeah i don't mean to say like that thing about um i guess the main you know concern isn't so pressing or you wouldn't be having these character moments i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that's um i I, it clearly didn't bother me as much as maybe adam a little bit but i i i don't think that it's a a bad thing because it is pretty minor and I'm fine with it because I think they do such a great job with the character stuff. And I think those character beats are actually what really makes this episode stand out. Uh, I think if it didn't have them, it would suffer significantly. I think those are the things that, that, that make it really good. I love that little bit where Stamets and Burnham are dancing, which is probably the most egregious example of you guys are really talking about something that isn't so important to the fact that the ship's going to blow up. But it, I think it's I think it's pretty great and it works and I think it's almost unfortunate Anthony Rapp is the sort of engineer guy. Is he officially the engineer? It always feels like I don't think it feels like he isn't like he's the like he's the spore guy or something. I don't know. But he gets so much science in techno babble dial type dialogue. But you see that scene when he's telling Burnham about how he and Hugh met. And you realize how good rap is at delivering that kind of stuff and how good he is at, at, at being this um, relatable human. And, you know, he's a really good actor. And, and sometimes we don't get to see that, those, uh, those sides of it when he's just, you know, delivering uh, techno pop. And I would say the same thing about the Gor- Gorgander. You know, it's very human and a good actor. <laughs> Yeah, he does a great job. Yeah, that Gorgander. Yeah, it's nice to see, of course, um, Rain Wilson back as as Mud. Still a little bit different from the old Mud, but yeah, you can't help but like. Is I mean, he's pretty nasty in this episode. He's very dark. Very. He's dark. A very dark, but you still kind of you still kind of laugh at the same time. Not laugh, but I mean, you're still amused by him. Um, and it's kind of the unique quality of of his acting style, or his, you know, his work. Um, Wilson, he's able to be kind of be despicable but at the same time you like him so um i think that's where he kind of gets mud even though he's a lot darker obviously in this recreation yeah well it's it's really dark when he kills Lorca like <laughs> 50 some odd times but it's 50, 53 i think he says something like that yeah and they show a lot of them mm-hmm. it's pretty heinous yeah it's, it's funny because we're we're all agreeing this is a pretty solid episode an episode that really felt like star trek another reason to enjoy it yet like so many star trek like so many good Star Trek episodes, it was it came about because they were trying to do a bottle episode to save money. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that what that gets to is um, 
I don't know. Maybe I mean I, it's 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 hard to go down this direction because you know television evolves, and we've talked several times about how it's become more of a um, continuous arc, and uh, you know binge watching and all this versus episodic and so on. And but um, I mean I think there's something to be said for a a contained you know short story that that works you know like you're, you're trying to tell a tale that has a point and involves these characters and you can still have development you know but but it's if, if you have something to say and it's concise essentially a short story to drop in your lap that's got its own kind of charm and value versus just part five of 15 or whatever you know and it's going on and on and on you know so and maybe that's something that's because of the origins, you know, the history of Star Trek and where it comes from and what we're used to, you know, that's that's why it's this kind of show is, is something special in the in the mix of things. You know, and I'm, I'm I think I'm I'm still a little bit prejudiced to the relationship, the Burnham Tyler relationship. I'll counterpose that. I think they did a good job in season three, not to give anything away with what they did with her and that relationship in season three, because they let it seem to have that seem to happen more naturally than this. This is, you know, they throw not only the character into the deep end, they throw the audience into the deep end. Tyler is somebody that was just introduced not long ago, and then we're kind of thrown into this um, romantic relationship before we've even, you know, this is the first season before we've even truly gotten to know Burnham, excuse me, <clears throat> and all these other characters. And um, that's why it kind of still just kind of bothers me. I, even when I watch it in this, it's just. The other thing about it, though, is that they don't have, you talk about that season three relationship. There's like a chemistry there that, that these two lack. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Each I one I... is a fine, you know, what his Tyler is it Shazad. What's his name? Latif. Is it, is Shazad Latif, yeah, that's right. Let's Shazad Latif and Sonequa Martin Green. They're both fine, you know, he's a fine actress, she's a fine actress. But they don't have like chemistry to me. No, I agree. When she's like, they're, they're tr on paper, they're setting it up. Like, she's um, a bit ostracized. She certainly feels ostracized, uh, you know, because of her past and stuff. And, and then they're setting it up like he's the only other kind of loner on the ship. And that's how. But when they actually talk, they're so completely different. and it, I, They just don't sync up to me at all. They don't have any chemistry. It's like they were, they, it was written on the page. Each person was cast, but they didn't, you know, shoot them together to see if they had any chemistry before casting him if they knew he was going to have to be her love interest because i don't feel it at all it's i mean they they don't even feel like i don't know brother and sister let alone lovers i i, I don't i just friends don't they barely seem like friends yeah they seem like exactly what they are which is Crewmates. two people that that walk around in the same carpet during the office hours you know <laughs> and that's it well and i i i, I agree there's the, the issue of chemistry um, but there, but it is also how they set it up. I mean, it's it's so fast when you just have like here they are and we see each other and we have a conversation. The next episode it's this, and the next episode it's this. It's just too fast. So I mean, even with perfect chemistry, it, it's odd. You know, it doesn't like you don't if you don't understand where it's coming from. If it's not written to you know progress in some kind of natural fashion through experiences well, together, but, it just doesn't. How but do you, look at. Culber and Stamets. I mean, I, I know it's a, it's a different kind of thing, but they they have chemistry. Those two yeah, actors yeah, have chemistry. True. It's true. And I didn't question it when I saw them together. Right. 
Right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it's I, really I, true. I, I, it, it, I'll say this. The, if they have no chemistry, then you need way more time <laughs> to yeah, get them right. together. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. It's not even in the same ballpark as Seven and Chakotay. So I'm, it's not that bad. No. It's not like, what are you smoking? No. You'd have a continuum, you know, like uh, Seven <laughs> and Chakotay on one end. I don't know what would be the best on the other end, but something like, yeah. Worf and Jedzia. There you go. There you go. Now, Worf and Jedzia is, is farther over. That's that's more solid than, than Worf and Deanna, although Worf and Deanna is still good. It works. And I, I did like the scene with Stamus. I think the one scene that kind of really took is was the dance scene that her and Tyler had. That one kind of seemed out of place, but the dance scene with Stamus was a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is this episode about? Well, you get into relationships. It's um, I think that's kind of what the core of this is: is learning to trust. So you know, you have this um, ish, you know, Burnham and Stannis. They're fairly. They don't know each other very well but throughout this whole episode that they learn to really kind of trust each other and um the same can be said with um burnham and tyler um these are all they're all they're they haven't been on the ship together for seven years like the enterprise or any of the other ships they're just they're kind of all thrown together and they're just kind of learning to know each other and um learn how to trust each other and trust the person next to you and you you grow as a crew it's kind of what i took from it yeah, I think to some extent when you have these kind of time travel romps, you know, sometimes sometimes they're more fun than than it's hard to it's hard to get the message or the meaning under it, but because there is there is a reasonable focus on the relationships in this, I agree. It, it it's it's to do with the uh the trust factor and kind of the leap of faith notion that okay, something's crazy, but you know, the world's crazy or our universe is crazy, so if you if you can develop this trust thing and then carry it over and and, you know, use that to come together to solve and solve an issue, you know, solve a problem, then that that's um, that's that's the big picture kind of thing. But I think I think this works. I think it's one of these kind of rare combination episodes where you've got it works really well because it's got something to say and it's fun and it has all a little bits of all the things, you know. And, and so um, anyway, yeah. I really, really like this episode. It's fun. I think that's a that's a valid thing to do is to take a break from the the grind of this of this heavy, dark show that's incredibly serialized, and to just have a standalone fun episode. I I enjoyed it for that the first time, and I enjoyed it for that today. Great. Let's do six degrees. You know, maybe I should change the name Six Degrees because I'm really just forced to, from here on out, do trivia questions. I don't know. If we get new listeners, they're like, why do they call it Six Degrees? (laughs) Well, now they know. Well, let's see. Adam, you went, right? Okay, Adam, this episode features a character, Stamets, who is aware that the timeline around him is inaccurate. In Next Gen's third season, Yesterday's Enterprise, which character is aware of the changing timeline? Changing timeline. Um, data? Nope. Steve? Guinan? Yep, is Guinan. All right, Steve has one. Moving on. 
Stevie's Potchum Parabellum, Season 1, Episode 8, original air date, November 5th, 2017. Directed by John S. Scott, written by Kirsten Beyer. Guest cast include Jane Brooke as Vice Admiral Katrina Cornwell, Mary Chifo as Laurel, Wilson Cruz as Dr. Hugh Colber, Kenneth Mitchell as Cole, Michael Boisbert as Koval, Conrad Coates as Admiral Terrell, Emily Coates as Kayla Detmer, Patrick Kwakchun as Reese, Sarah Midditch as Ariam, Oyen Oledejo as Joanne Owasekun, and Ronnie Rowe Jr. as Bryce. Coming to the aid of another Federation ship, Discovery is unable to prevent the ship's destruction by a Klingon ship with a cloaking technology. Desperate for a way to detect these ships even when they are cloaked, Burnham, Tyler, and Saru are sent to Poval, a seemingly uninhabited planet with naturally occurring, occurring crystalline transmitter that broadcasts the planet's vibrational frequency into space. They hope to use the transmitter to create a sonar for the hidden Klingon ships. Well, what's your good? Negative, sir. I have power signatures that are off the charts, but our sensors can't seem to isolate individual ships when they have those invisibility screens up. They can't fire till they're visible. Just keep our fingers on the trigger, get ready to move quickly. Understood? Aye, Captain. Hard to port, Denver, Mr. Reese. Lock on the bird of prey, targeting a guard. Steve, kick us off on this one. Yeah, so um, an, another good one. I, I enjoyed this episode, um, not as much as the most recent, the last one we just discussed, but I think we're kind of part of this block, which I think it might be some of the most solid episodes of this whole series, frankly, um, that, uh, you know, and this one focuses, um, it, it kind of focuses on Saru, and and we learn some stuff about him and uh, some of his demons and where he's vulnerable and so forth. But, uh, this interesting kind of sci-fi concept of a planet and, um, this, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a bit of, uh, a, a nature kind of element to this where the whole planet's alive. It's a, it's an organism and it has a mind and it's got to give its permission. So we learn a little bit about protocol in terms of how the Federation views what they can and can't do in those situations. So, uh, we have that going on. Um, then, of course, we also have the uh, element of the, the Vice Admiral and Laurel and uh, their ongoing issues after she was captured a couple episodes ago. So definitely elements here that progress progress the season as a whole, but also have some interesting components and have some interesting things to say and do develop some, you know, do some character development. We also don't completely abandon the Tyler Burnham thing, because they're obviously down there with Saru. And so their communication and their lack of chemistry continues as well. And, uh, you know, so there, there's a lot, lot going on and it's, and it's, um, it's interesting and it, and it progresses the, uh, endeavor, the war endeavor as well. And, um, I don't know. I, 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 I like it. Um, it's certainly, a a type of episode that goes along with a binge watching continuous season kind of viewing experience, but it, 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 it does it well and it, and it, and it gives something to the characters and it progresses stories in an entertaining way and it balances it out. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I wonder if I'm almost, well, I'll get to that in a second. Adam, why don't you give us your first thoughts? So, um, yeah, I'm in agreement with Steve. I, I found this episode to be, um, interesting well-paced um you know you get some definitely get some story development on here 
I did want to say, like, you know, the opening scenes when Discovery jumps in to help um, help this other Federation ship that's under attack. These are, you know, looking back, these are the the times that I, that confused me about Lorca because he comes in there. You know, we all know what Lorca ends up being, but he comes in there and he really puts Discovery at real risk trying to save this ship. And, and I guess you could say this is probably the first time I kind of felt like he acted like a real Starfleet captain. Um, you know, you know, he was concerned about the other ship. He hung in there. And then, so then I'm going through all my head. I'm like, well, is he doing this because he really hates the Klingons or, you know, so this is what's going through my head. So, um, you know, when we get to those episodes about Lorca, um, this is what I kind of go back to and be like, oh, well, I, I, this is kind of one of the moments where I like Lorca. And so that's, I just wanted to say that to mention that but yeah i'm in agreement with steve it's it's interesting you have this crystalline planet you know you kind of have this whole um you know avatar thing going with the planet the whole planet's alive and it's it's kind of like one sentient being so that's an interesting sci-fi concept and them coming in contact with it you got the first contact stuff going on with saru so you kind of really have some um kind of like some real star trek federation Stuff going on down here for us really nerdy fr- fans going way back, um, and and yeah, you get a lot of, up from Saru, you know, about his you know his species and where they come from, and they're always in fear. And then there's that, that conflict that comes comes into play. I I really like the end scene um, with um, Burnham and Saru, you know, um, you know, when he says that that was me, and he explains to her what was going on, and it's um, it was I, I, that was the best scene I thought of the whole episode right there at that end, that conclusion. Um, between the two of them. I'm glad you like this. You guys like this episode. I, I think it's a solid episode and it has sequences that I like. I definitely like the Saru stuff. I mean, I, I, I like his performance. I like what it tells us about his character, but I remember the first time I saw this episode, I had a hard time focusing on it. Keeping it. I don't, maybe it just has one too many things. And then I remember rewatching it at least once and now watching it, so this is at least my third time. And again, I felt like I just wanted to grab my phone and go and check my email, or I don't know. I mean, it was just like I had a hard time. Did you get bored in the middle. Yeah, I just had a hard time focusing on it. I, I, it was just, it was a little bit too disjointed. Like I like all the individual parts, but there's too many, and they don't add up. They're never more than it's never more than some of his parts. And I, I like all the little bits, but they just don't all go together so great. There's just one too many things for me to follow. I don't know what what it is, but there's something about this episode that doesn't click for me as well as I think it does for you guys. You know, we haven't even mentioned the, you know, the Laurel and Cornwall stuff. I mean, you know, that's kind of the B storyline, but it's kind of important as well, as well. And that's well, even like that stuff, all- like, I don't get it. Like, okay, let jump to the end then. Uh, Cole initiates, like, the Laurel... Oh, initiation and he you know he gives her the red and then he's like he goes through the whole bit and then he says well you're a liar i'm like wait what show her how we treat liars or whatever he says right i'm like wait where did that come from what i didn't understand that either how do they know she was lying they didn't kind of yeah it, it didn't but but then but he but he does the whole ceremony like it's normal and right and i i don't i don't know steve can you explain that t- sequence to us what did we miss no i can't really i just yeah but that well as we established a lot of the klingon stuff is is pretty wackadoodle in this you know, series so <laughs> I, like I think that. i think i kind of just block it out or something yeah. <laughs> i mean you know I'm, I'm not making an excuse for it it's just it's just there and it doesn't it doesn't do much for me in general so i i don't i don't give it much consideration i suppose 
There's going to come a time, Steve, when you won't be able to block it out. <laughs> I do remember thinking at the time, this doesn't seem like, you know, her wanting to uh, hook up with Cornwell to escape or something. That doesn't seem like a, something a Klingon would be doing, no matter how much she hates right. Cole or whatever. It just, yeah. it just didn't seem right. You know, now we we know what's going to happen. We know she does have other motivations and stuff. So I'm not going to fault it for that. But I just I don't understand what the point what that scene was all about, and I I don't under, I, I don't get that. Maybe that's something that's going to be explained in another episode, and I've forgotten it. But like the Saru stuff, so so I, Saru, I, I I like his his sequences, but there I'm frequently distracted by. <sighs> Uh, for example, when they're in the tent or wherever they are, I don't know. And it's so, it just so looks like they're just completely acting in front of green screen and everything's been replaced every behind them. It's just what it feels like. And it's just distracting and I can't follow the words they're saying. I'm like, well, why did they even have to do that? Or, or like being outside color timing, like in post-production, they, they color timed some of the the forest an odd color, I guess, or something to make it feel like a foreign planet. But it just feels like a weird, like there's like, there's just too much going on and I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be looking at and focus on. And there's something about this episode that doesn't click for me from a, from multiple perspectives. I don't know, but the individual storyline of, of what Saru goes through, like if that had been the whole episode, if the episode was just shorter and it was just that, I think I, I think I could, I could handle it better. I don't know. I will say, Brian, I, I, I almost, not quite. I almost laughed out loud when they had Saru running that those effects to, you know, the show's what only what three years old and that's those effects. Don't yeah. hold up even this far. Yeah. I mean, it looked like, uh, the 1978 Superman when he's <laughs> running next to the train, which looked great in 1978. <laughs> but, you know, it's a cool thing that Kelpians can run really fast. That's neat. Yeah, I mean, just the setup, and it was a, the setup was nice. But the, the actuality was a disappointment. I certainly think it's great that we went to a planet. Isn't this the first time we've yeah. done that in the show? Yeah. It's a Star Trek thing about that, you know, an away team. What? I, I, think, I think sometimes uh, what the problem is here is that... And like I said, I mean, I, I found it, I found it entertaining and it's, it, it, it progresses. It, it kind of does, it's like the episode does its job, right? You know, like you have an episode that needs to progress things a certain way, tell a little bit of a story, have a little bit of development. It does its job. But I think sometimes what you're describing is it doesn't, it doesn't do much for you from an emotional standpoint. Like it's not really all, all clicking or whatever. I think that, um, I don't know. I, I, I think they would do, do themselves some good if they would like, like have it, imagine it being bare bones like the story told in a in a very like almost uh, like a little theater kind of setting or something and then if it, that doesn't work make it until it works and then add all the effects and and blow it up and make some kind of production of it because you you if you don't have a story that's compelling and all all the elements the b story too and all that is is working and it just feels like it's just da 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 and people talking and it's not doing anything for anybody then then it's not enough to just add all the the fun color stuff or effects or whatever, you know what I mean? I like the you know, that Stamets is going through something crazy. It's it's actually using his his body and his mind in a detrimental way and he's going through something every time they make these spore jumps. I remember that aspect 
being more significant to the show. So maybe that's coming. But, you know, his report, his chemistry with Tilly, like when they're talking, you know, I, I like it. I like that Tilly sits down and he tells her, you're excused, cadet, and she doesn't leave. You know, <laughs> she's like, you know, we're talking now. Thank you. I think that stuff is good. Again, that's the kind of example of the kind of thing that it just feels like one too many things or yeah, what you're saying, Steve is probably accurate too. Like there's, I have a hard time with the episode emotionally. Maybe the, yeah, maybe that's it. Like something like, like the Povens, like I don't really, I mean, I can't empathize with blue dust. So, and they never have any in this episode, they never have anything more substantial than that. The only communication we get is what, Saru tells us their feeling or something. Usually when you have those kind of scenarios, um, the alien, you know, possesses somebody or somebody's embodied by it or whatever. And that's how you pull it off. And I know that's cliche, but it happens for a reason because it's, it's even worse to have somebody tell you the story about it. Well, here's what someone just told me in my imaginary thing that you guys didn't see with this blue dust. Like you said, I mean, that is, that doesn't work. You're not going to, get anything out of that I, I do like that they flip this on their head you know you you know in the middle of this episode when saru starts acting where do you think that he's possessed but at the end he explained he's not he's just freed from his fear and he feels that that bliss and he doesn't want it taken away from him so that's kind of the, yeah. the little bit of a twist that threw in there with this one because usually you're right it's they're possessed or something strange happens to them that takes them out of their own being that's a good example of something that that is compelling, and that's something if you focused on that, sure. you have something really to talk about because it's the notion of uh, because that gets into um, how we all you know wear masks and put on role you know play roles all the time and do what we do, and if all of a sudden somehow we were to be able to turn that off, or want to think you're nuts or whatever, right? So I mean that that's an interesting idea. But that's it's just a little teeny. Yeah, and, and for him, it's so extreme that he physically attacks her. Right. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty crazy. And yeah, then then so we that scene with them in sickbay is pretty good. Mm-hmm. They have a pretty interesting relationship, you know. And it's nice to see for once he's the one that <laughs> failed her because she has messed him over so many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's this episode about? You know, I think what we were just talking about kind of touches on what, if you were going to say anything impactful that what the episode was about, it's um, it's it's about Saru and about the fear that he has embedded him in him throughout his whole entire life, just because you know the you know the species that he is. They're you know they were raised as you know food basically so you know obviously that's kind of like the metaphor for for all of us here is like you know we all have these fears and these weaknesses that are inside of us that we that we all carry around throughout our lives and so you know what would happen to you if all of a sudden those were all gone um and you know you're not the same person anymore i guess one of the best lines what in star trek 5 is like i need i need i want my pain i need my pain and it's kind of i think that's kind of the same concept here it's like you know all of your life you can't take away anything that you've experienced um in your life and um still be the same person so you you have to take the good with the bad is to simplify it and so that's what i took from the episode yeah i mean i think this is an example of one of these that i agree that's that's the core of what the interesting part of this is about but they just don't give it enough emphasis to make it really 
you know, to drive it home, to make it feel like that's the point of what you're doing because there's so much going on. Um, I think I like it. I think it's interesting because it, it develops, it, it does a decent job of balancing a whole lot of, it, it, it's got a lot to do, right? This episode has a lot to do in terms of progressing a number of stories in this, but because when you do that, it's really easy to shortchange a central point of this. And if you're going to do something as, like we said, compelling as talk about, you know, the nature of uh, rem removing our inhibitions and how it affects our character, and that might not always be a positive thing in the eyes of others, you need to give that some emphasis or just kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. So, and honestly, I mean, you know, this, this episode might have a little bit more meaning now when you got that, the Saru short where, you know, you got like where he came from and how he was brought up and you kind of got that backstory from him. So it makes a little bit more sense today than probably did um, first viewing. All right. Let's do six degrees. Steve, Admiral Cornwell tells Laurel that the Federation has no death penalty, but apparently the Federation's going to add one soon because Starfleet is going to add a general order that forbids contact with Talos 4, as we learned from the original series. Which general order number is that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, Talos, Talos 4. Well, you know it's not one. Right, we know what that is, yeah. Uh, seven. <laughs> yes! Uh, all right. <laughs> go, buy, go buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> that just felt right somehow, I guess. Uh -huh. it's, I'm just, it's, I'm so uh -huh. nerdified ingrained in me that it was there somewhere. Yeah. It reminds me of the old days when Steve would beat around the bush for five minutes, oh, no, no, and then he would just guess, sound like he's guessing, and he would... <laughs> so, so, Brian, is that actually accurate? Has, didn't the cage already happen? Didn't they reference that in season two? No, we know it hasn't happened, right? No, it hasn't happened. Yeah, but I thought they referenced this in season two, the cage. Well, even if it's happened, it's possible that Starfleet hasn't made yeah. this general order yet. Across the board. Yeah. But I thought it hadn't happened yet. The events of the cage have happened, but we don't know, I guess, the ramifications of okay, it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Because it's just, I guess, a year and a half-ish later when we know he's thinking back on it and there's some fallout, yeah. So, so presumably the um, the second part, that's like 10 years from now, roughly. Right. So plenty of room for Strange New Worlds. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Steve takes that for the day. Christopher Plummer died. I don't, I think that was after our last recording. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, it was sad. He lived to a nice old age, but... Uh, 91, 92, something like that. Yeah. Still a legend. We're all gonna always remember him as General Cheng. But I rewatched um, Somewhere in Time a couple of days ago. I freaking love that movie. But I bet a lot of our listeners haven't. If you if you're looking for a tearjerker <laughs> uh, romance, Somewhere in Time is pretty darn good. Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour and Christopher Plummer filmed on Mackinac Island, which is a cool place to visit. No cars or oh, is that hotel still there? Yeah, yeah, so that's they filmed it on Mackinac Island, so yeah, it's kind of that's that they don't allow cars or anything like that on there. It's kind of on the very north end of Lake Michigan. Yeah, it's 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 one of those those places you watch the movie and you're like, this is obviously a real place, and I want to go there. And then you watch for the end credits, and it says something about Michigan, like ah, <laughs> pretty cool. But not much else going on. We're expecting them to start shooting Picard season two and Strange New Worlds very soon. Like probably by the time you're hearing this, maybe. 
You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. And you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Thank you for spending an hour with us. And we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next two episodes of Discovery's first season. And until then, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.